Well, let's get into the word as quickly as possible. Um, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32 to 39 is what we're going to look at today. So let's read it. Um, I'm sure Storm will get it up on the screen. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32 to 39. Remember the former days when you endured a harsh conflict of suffering after you were enlightened. At times you were publicly exposed to abuse and afflictions, and at other times you came to share with others who were treated in that way. For in fact you shared the sufferings of those in prison, and you accepted the confiscation of your belongings with joy, because you knew that you certainly had a better and lasting possession. So do not throw away your confidence, because it has great reward. For you need endurance in order to do God's will, and so receive what is promised. For just a little longer, and he who is coming will arrive and not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith, and if he shrinks back, I take no pleasure in him. But we are not among those who shrink back and thus perish, but are among those who have faith and preserve their souls." And then I just want to read chapter 11, verses 1 to 2 as well. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for, being convinced of what we do not see, for by it the people of old receive God's commendation. Two weeks ago we looked at the verses preceding this, verses 19 to 31, and we saw there the exhortation that the writer was giving towards the fact that we need to respond to the gospel, that the gospel is not just something that we should hear and nod our heads to or just say amen to, but it's something that we should be responding to. It's something that should be impacting our lives on a daily basis. And then we also considered the stern warning that the writer gave to those who deliberately keep on sinning after they've received the knowledge of the truth. And we discussed what that means. It, meaning those who are not impacted by the gospel, whose lives just continue in their merry way, the same as they were before, where the gospel has no effect or influence in their lives. So we can see from that that God gave the gospel to change us. And I think that came out in Cameron's testimony, that it is God's will that through His word, we would become new creatures, we would become new people, that we would be changed from glory to glory into the likeness of Jesus. And so let's just ask ourselves, what can we learn from this passage that we've just read, which is the, the words that immediately come after what we looked at in the last, uh, the last episode. And I believe that what we can see in this passage is the nature of true Christianity. And this is what we're going to look at today. Uh, in this passage, the writer tells the readers to remember that Christianity is all about enduring faith. It's all about enduring faith. A faith that is based on the promises of God. That's the foundation for it. A faith that is focused not on the things of this life, but on the reward that has been promised. The eternal reward that God has promised. And a faith that is eagerly looking for the second coming of Jesus Christ. You, if you read this passage, you will see that these are the things that he mentions as he is writing here. 
Why? Because we know that when Christ comes, when He returns, that's when God is going to fulfill all the promises that He has given. You know, there are many promises that God has given us that we're still waiting for the fulfillment of. There are things that Jesus died for that we don't yet possess. They are a hope that we have. They are future. And we're looking towards that time when Christ will return, when everything that Jesus died for will finally be ours. You know, the Bible talks about the fact that the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So what we have right now is just a down payment. It's, it's God just saying, this is a deposit that is guaranteeing that I'm going to fulfill everything that I've promised. And so Christianity is a faith focused upon that which God has promised and that which is really most of it lies in the future. It is a faith that is absolutely convinced of everything the gospel proclaims and promises, even though much of it is still yet unseen. We don't yet have it. We don't possess it. And it is a faith that is devoted to God's will as it's expressed in Scripture, regardless of the consequences. And we see this coming out so strongly in this passage. And do you know that this is what Christianity has always been about? Right from its very inception, it's never been about having our best life now. It has been about God's grace, God's forgiveness, God's righteousness, His sanctification, His working in our lives, salvation, and the promise of eternal life in the kingdom of God. This is what the gospel's about. This is what Christianity is about. And you may ask, why is this important that we understand this and why we be reminded of this today? Because in this modern materialistic world in which we live, this self-centered world in which we live, it's easy to forget what the gospel is really about. And particularly so in the last 70 years, there's been a brand of Christianity that has emerged. It's become very popular. And I call it a brand of Christianity because it has all the trappings of Christianity. And yet what it's done is very subtly it has redefined many of the truths of the gospel. I'll give you a couple of examples here. This, this brand of Christianity will say something like this. Jesus suffered, so we don't have to suffer. Does that agree with what we've just read in Hebrews? Or it might say this, Jesus died so we might be healthy, wealthy, and victorious. But not victorious over sin, victorious over every negative circumstance that might come against us in life. And that becomes, is the focus of this. Let me just use this statement, because this is a statement that many who, who teach this brand of Christianity have said. This is, what they, they, this is a statement that sums up this kind of teaching. Don't tell me about pie in the sky in the sweet by and by. I want steak on my plate that just won't wait. Okay? And that's a statement I've heard preachers that preach this brand of Christianity actually quoting from the pulpit. And so what are they saying? They're basically saying, don't talk to me about 
that which is in the future. Don't talk to me about the hope of the gospel and all of that which we're waiting for when Christ returns. I want it right now. I want it on the plate right now so that I can eat it. And so what it is, it, it really shows that it is a, a teaching that is really focused on this life and what we can get out of this life. And the gospel and Christ and his death on the cross is viewed as a means to a better life now. Okay? It doesn't deny the pie in the sky, but it doesn't focus on it. It doesn't emphasize it. It's actually not what they're seeking. They treat the eternal reward as if it's some secondary matter. And the focus is now on having your best life. There's a very popular best-selling book out, Your Best Life Now. And it's a book trying to tell you how you can have your best life now. And it's really what the world seeks. There's no difference between what is being uh, promised in this kind of teaching and what the world seeks. And... Let me just say this, it's not that these things in and of themselves are bad. It's not that they're not blessings of God. I mean, I thank God every day for my health. I don't know whether you do. And I acknowledge that that is a, a blessing from God. It doesn't come from anyone else. And I thank God that I have food on my table every time I eat. Because I recognize it as a blessing of God. So it's not that these things are bad. It's not that we cannot be grateful for them. It's not that we cannot pray for them. And it's not that God doesn't bestow them on us. But they are not what the gospel and Christianity is all about. And that's what we have to have clear in our minds. Let's just consider what we've read here. Look at what becoming a Christian meant to the people to whom this letter was written. They suffered for their faith. They joyfully accepted the confiscation of their property. And why did they joyfully accept it? Because they were looking ahead to their reward. They, had, they knew that they had a lasting and better possession. And they understood that it was not earthly. And so when things were not going well for them, when everything was actually working against them having their best life now, they were joyfully able to accept it. Why? Because their sight and their focus was not on the life they had now, but on that which God had promised, that which He would bring when Jesus Christ returned. You see, this is what the gospel was right from its inception. To them, being Christians had nothing to do with the things of this world, but it had to do with the promises of God pertaining to eternity. And this is what true biblical Christianity is all about. And the writer, we see him here encouraging them to remain steadfastly committed to this brand of Christianity, this true Christianity, right to the end and not to shrink back from it. I want to just consider some of the Lord's words. Um, we're a little bit short on time, so I'm going to just skip one, one passage of Scripture that we're going to look at. And I want to look at Luke 9, verse 24 to 26. This is what the Lord said to His disciples. He says, whoever wants to save his life. What life is He talking about there? That's 
your life in this earth, the current life, our present life. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will save it. You see what the focus is on? The focus, he's talking, he's pointing us to that which is eternal. And then he says in verse 25, For what does it benefit a person if he gains the whole world, but he loses or forfeits himself? There's a priority that he sets here. What is more important? This life we're going to lose, whether we try to keep it or not. Ultimately, we're going to lose it. Death is going to come to us all, just like Ian was preaching about last week. We can run, we can try and hide, but ultimately death finds us. And so this life is short. This life is temporary. This is not what the gospel is about. The gospel is about that which is eternal, which will never end. It's about an inheritance that does not fade or perish, that is kept for us in heaven. Let's just read the last verse, verse 26. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. What is he pointing us to? His coming. That time when he will reward his saints. If we go through the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we will see that Jesus never promised an easy life to those who followed him. He said, in this world you will have trouble and suffering. He said, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. He said that following him might cost us everything. That was the teaching of the Lord Jesus when he spoke to his apostles. As he prepared them to take the, the message of salvation to the world, he said, it's going to cost you everything. Nothing. Even your own life, you cannot hold on to this if you want to be one of my disciples. What benefit did the Lord promise? What benefit did he focus his followers on? Eternal life. Entrance into the kingdom of heaven. That's what Christianity is all about. Consider the history of Christianity. Since the very day of Pentecost, 2,000 years ago, Christians have suffered for their faith. If you go and read the books, read the history books, you will see how Christians at times have been greatly, greatly persecuted. If you were to sum up the history of the Christian church, it would be summed up in this one word, persecution. Right from the very beginning, right in the book of Acts, if you read through the book of Acts, you will see persecution breaking out against the apostles, persecution breaking out against the church, and it's never ceased. Even if we look around us today, do you know that in many, many nations of the world today, People are dying for their faith. We live in a nation where we don't face this. And so we sometimes live completely oblivious to the fact that today, at this present time in the world, there are more people being martyred for their faith than at any other time in history. We don't realize that. We don't realize that people are praying, paying the supreme price for following Jesus Christ around the world today. 
What is it that has given suffering Christians throughout the ages the ability to endure their suffering? It has been the promises of God. This is what kept the martyrs going. This is what has kept people that have been imprisoned for their faith going. The persecuted going. And it's the only thing that will keep us strong when the time comes for us to suffer for our faith. Consider the examples of the apostles. Let's just look at one passage of scripture here. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 17 to 18. And you'll see here this is the focus that the apostle Paul had. This was his perspective. He says, For our momentary light suffering is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Because we are not looking at what can be seen. We're not looking at this life. But what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary. But what cannot be seen is eternal. And it was that kind of mindset that enabled the Christians that the letter to the Hebrews was written to, to rejoice even when they were facing confiscation of their property, when they were being persecuted, when some of them were being thrown into prison, when they were going through these kind of trials, they were able to rejoice and remain steadfast simply because their focus was not on the present, but on the future. And this is the mindset of true Christianity. It's not what we can get out of this life in terms of pleasures and material things of this world. It's on doing the will of God right now. That's what this life is about. Doing the will of God. Living to please Him, even if it means suffering and loss. Think of the examples even over the last few hundred years of God's saints. I think of the missionaries. I read stories of missionaries, 17 years, 18 years old, young people like Cameron, saying goodbye to their family. In an age where the only way you could travel was to get on a ship. You know, it wasn't like today where you can just shoot across continents in a few hours. And it wasn't like today where you can just Facebook, have Facebook and you can have video calls and you can have all of that kind of stuff, Zoom calls and keep in, in, in contact with your family. And there would be young people, I think of a man by the name of Hudson Taylor, who said goodbye to his family and went to China, not knowing if he would ever see them again. These are the, the heroes of the faith that were prepared to sacrifice everything, lay down everything, in order to do the will of God, to take God's word, to take the gospel, to nations that had never heard it. I even think of a man like David Livingston in this part of the world. He died in this part of the world. And what did he come to do? He wasn't coming to colonize. He came to bring the gospel. And he sowed his life for the gospel. What was it that made him do that? It was the hope that he had. I read a book called Vanya. It's about this Russian, young Russian man during the days of the Soviet Union and he was in the, in the army. And he was a believer in the time when it was illegal to be a believer in the Soviet Union. 
And you read this book. I, re I read it as a youngster when I was still a teenager. It so impacted my life because of the suffering that he went through because of his faith. Being the, the, the soldiers would put him out. The generals would put him outside to stand outside in the cold, minus 30 degrees, just in his cotton uniform, his summer uniform. And they would put him out there and watch and wait to see if he was going to eventually deny the Lord Jesus and say, bring me in because of the cold. And it's a book that's full of the miracles that God did in sustaining this young man because of his faith. Because he would not compromise. They put him in a cell with cold, freezing cold water just dripping on his head for hours and hours and hours. He suffered greatly. And yet the Lord kept him. The Lord buoyed him. And what was it that kept him? The promise of the celestial city. The promise that God had given him of eternal life. If you can ever get your hands on that book, it's called Vanya. I encourage you to read it. So encouraging just to see what people have gone through for the faith and how the Lord has strengthened them. I think of the man that you may have heard of, Brother Yun. How many of you have heard of Brother Yun? The heavenly man. There's a book written, The Heavenly Man. Can you imagine? He went to prison for preaching the gospel in China. He went to prison for seven years. And then for a further seven years. Wasn't able to see his wife. Wasn't able to see his son grow up. Cut off from his family. Why? Because he was committed to doing the will of God. And this is what true Christianity is. And this is what... All the hearers of the faith, this is how they have viewed it. This is how they have lived their lives with this kind of perspective. Let's ask a question. What about the Lord's first coming? What was it all about? Well, in Mark chapter 2 verse 17, this is what he says. He says, those who are healthy don't need a physician, but those who are sick do. When he's talking about the healthy and the sick, who is he referring to? He tells us. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Do you know that the primary reason Jesus came was to save sinners from their sin? He healed the sick. But you know, in doing that, he was really showing that the ultimate healing that he had come to bring was the healing of our sinful souls so that we could serve the living God. That's why he came. His very name given to him by the angel, Jesus, means the Lord who saves. And the reason that name was given was because he will save his people from their sins. That's what Jesus came to do. He came to save sinners, just like you and me. And that's a wonderful truth. He came to heal us of our sinfulness. Why did God give His only begotten Son? Why did Jesus die? Why did He go to the cross? Why did He suffer? Was it so we might have a better life here and now? Not at all. John 3.16 says this, For this is the way God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son. Why? So that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life life. That's what it's all about. What did Jesus say he would give to those who listened to his voice 
and follow Him? Did He say that He would give them health, wealth, and a good long life on this earth? No, this is what He said. John chapter 10, verse 27 to 28. He said, My sheep listen to My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me, and I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them from my hand. Folks, this is what the gospel promises. This is the promise of the gospel. And yet there's some people when they hear this, they think, well, if that's all the gospel promises, I don't really want it because they're just thinking about what they want right here and now. But think about it. You can have all the money in the world. You could be very healthy. You could be very successful. And it can be taken from you in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, when you're least expecting it. But eternal life, that can never be taken away. And it will never be taken away. Eternal life, I always liken it, this, I, I use this sort of this, uh, picture. If you can imagine all the oceans of the entire earth, and all the water in those oceans, those oceans represent eternal life. You know what this, this life is like? It's like a little drop of water on the tip of your finger. And yet so many people in this world today are just living just for this little drop of water on the tip of their finger. And they're not concerned about or worried about or even thinking about the vast oceans of life that God has promised to everyone that puts their faith in Jesus Christ. And this is why in this passage, the writer says to these people, do not throw away your confidence. What's the reason he gives? Because it will have great reward. This is why he says, you need endurance so that you can do the will of God and so that you can receive what is promised. Why do we need endurance? Because doing the will of God is not easy. Living the Christian life is not easy. There may be some seasons where it seems that way. But if we are genuinely committed to doing the will of God, we need endurance. There will be times when we get tempted to give up. It's not easy to do God's will. And doing God's will is necessary to receiving the promised reward. In verse 38, and I want to just focus Quickly and briefly on this statement. This is what he said. He said, my righteous one. And the, the writer here is actually quoting God. He says, my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I take no pleasure in him. That's the word of God. My righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will take no pleasure in him. Who are those God considers to be righteous? Those who live by faith. And what is faith? He tells us right here in chapter 11 verse 1. It is being sure of what we hope for. And it is being convinced of what we do not see. What is it that we are hoping for? Are we sure about it? Are we certain of what God has promised? Why can we be certain? Those are good questions to ask, isn't it? You see, faith is being sure of all that God has promised in the gospel. 
It's being absolutely convinced about it. And it is this blessed assurance, which the Bible calls faith, that God counts as righteousness. And it's what leads to his commendation. As it says here in verse 2, by faith, the people of old received God's commendation. And that's the same way that we will receive God's commendation. It's when we put our faith in God's word and we base our lives on his promises and we stand steadfast in them that God says he's pleased with us. Okay? No one who ever has this kind of faith will perish. Why? Because no one who has this kind of faith that's described right here will ever shrink back or fall away. Why? How can anyone who is absolutely sure of what he hopes for, is absolutely certain of what he cannot see, how could anyone who's in that position ever turn his back on it and fall away? It's an impossibility. How can we ever deny Jesus Christ? If we truly have faith in him, if we truly believe that he's the king of kings like we were singing about. You see, those who have the faith described here will not shrink back. They will not fall back. They will not turn away. Even when things get tough, even when things happen in life that we don't understand, there will be this bedrock of faith that keeps them secure to the very end. And those who do shrink back are those who never truly believed. Maybe they tried to believe, maybe they said they believed, but they never believed in the way the Bible describes it. They never had the kind of faith that is being described here, which is saving faith. Saving faith is enduring faith. Saving faith is certain faith. It is a faith that is convinced. It's a faith that rejoices in all circumstances. It's a faith that always hopes and always trusts. Do we have this kind of faith? Is this your faith? Is this my faith? Have we understood what the gospel is all about? Have we understood what Christianity is all about? What is the focus of our lives? Are we committed to doing the will of God right to the very last breath. Can we say, as the writer put here in verse 39, can you say, as he put here in verse 39, we are not among those who shrink back and thus perish, but are among those who have faith and preserve their souls. Can you say that about yourself today? Can you say that you are amongst those who do not shrink back, but have faith right up to the very salvation of your soul? Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that we can just be reminded of what the gospel is all about, what your promises point to, what they promise, that we can be reminded of what our Christian faith is all about. And I pray today, Lord, 
that none of us would ever lose sight of the promise you have given us in Christ, the promise of eternal life, the promise of immortality, the promise of the resurrection of the dead, of the kingdom of God, of a new heaven and a new earth in which there will only be righteousness. Father, I pray that in these dark days in which we live, these days where sin is abounding, where temptation is abounding, where hostility towards us as believers is rising, that you would strengthen each and every one of us. And that every one of us in this place here today would be absolutely sure of what we hope for and absolutely certain of what we do not see of everything that your scriptures describe and everything that the scriptures promise. Father, let our faith be founded upon the rock today. Let it be established in the truth. And may it never be shaken, Lord. May you keep us. We thank you for your promise to do this very thing. And we look forward, Lord, to your coming. Our hope is in the coming of Christ. The grace that will be given to us at that time. Father, we are looking forward to the day when we shall see your face. The day when you shall wipe away every tear from our eyes. When there will be no more death and no more pain and no more sorrow. Lord, we're looking forward to that day when you will make all things new. And so my prayer today, Father, is that you would just refresh us in this hope. In the promise you have given us. We thank you for it, Lord. Amen.